Good afternoon. Am I on? Am I on? Am I good? Oh yeah, we're on. Let's go. All right. Yeah. So thanks for mentioning. This is my first time. Like I wasn't nervous enough. Um, <laughs> no, this this is a milestone for me. Um, I I pride myself in genuinely loving the Lord. Um, two years ago, I was an alcoholic. Um, man, I'm already emotional. That's awesome. And the Lord pulled me out of that, and, and I told the Lord that night that I, I would give him my entire life. Um, and so two years from that point, I stand here, and, and I get to bring God's word to you and, and what he's been teaching me. And so part of that is I've been able to rebuild my name. And so that's, that's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight is, is your name or what name you represent. So everybody in here has a name. I have a name. My name is Zach. Um, if you don't know me, I also have another name, uh, Tiber. And so together, these, these names characterize who I am. They represent who I am. And, and I also represent what they are. And so sometimes, you know, you, you have a name and people squander their names per se. And so to squander your name would, would to be like, my name's Zach and I don't care what people think of me. But to do it to your last name is a little bit more important. It, it represents your father. It represents your family. It represents what they have given you, what they have passed down to you. And so it holds a little bit more weight. And so what I hope to show you tonight is is the weight that we get to carry and, and what kind of job we have to carry out through sacrifice. And so what names do is they call people, they, they get somebody's attention, and they also describe somebody. So in the Bible, we get to see a lot of times names represent people's characteristics. And so you have Peter, which is a rock, and so that's how he got his name. And, and you have Eve, who is the mother of all living. And so that's why she had that name. And so so names characterize different people and in, in their attributes. And so, of course, the same is going to be for our God. Our God in the Bible has over 650 names. And so I'd, I'd like to say that it's kind of important to the Lord, his, his name and how you uphold it. But also, these names give us recognition to call on the Lord. How, how do we talk to the Lord? How do we know the Lord? And also... It describes him. It describes his character. It describes who he is. It describes what he does for us and the different roles that he plays out through the Bible and through our lives. And so this is a pretty heavy task that, that we as believers in Christ have to take upon ourselves. In Exodus 27, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. And so, of course, we always hear that, don't use the Lord's name in vain. And, and a lot of us think, don't actually verbally use the Lord's name in vain. But what it's saying really is, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So I've taken my father's name, Tiber, that he gave to me. And so I could take that and use it in vain. And the opportunities and the connections that he's given me, I could use it in vain. Well, the same thing goes for our father in heaven. We can take that and we can say, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. And then we can go, you know, to the brew house and, and get slammed. And, and we're representing the Lord in vain, you know. And so it, when you really look into it, it actually holds a much deeper meaning and a much, much heavier weight. And so what I want to look at tonight is, is 
knowing our Savior. How do we know our Savior? Well, we're going to look at a specific word or phrase, rather, that the Lord has um, used to characterize his, his attributes, his humility, his sacrifice, his power. So we've gotten to see the word through Matt that brought us the first week through this series. We got to see the word and how it's our sustenance, our, it's our supply. It's how we gain to know and, and learn to follow the Lord through the actual word. And then we saw that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So that's who he is. That's our avenue to heaven. That's our avenue to the Father. And then last week or two weeks ago, we, we asked the question, who do men say I am? And then, and then we followed that up with, who do I say that he is? Who do I call the Lord? And so keep those three things in mind as we, as we go through. And like I said, we're going to be able to see a perfect balance of power and sacrifice and humility through the Lamb of God. And so that's your first blank is the Lamb of God. So tonight we're going to be in John 1. And the, the context is John the Baptist is baptizing people. And, and this is really the first time that we get to see Jesus on the scene. And so if you will, um, look at verse 28 with me, and we're going to read through verse 38. These things were done in Bathabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I, know, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sendeth me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, unto whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remain on him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood, the two disciples, and two of his disciples, excuse me, and looking upon Jesus, he walked. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to be interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? If you would, let's pray before we get into this passage. God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for um, what you've given me through your word. And God, I pray that I can um, paint the picture that you want to be painted tonight. God, I pray that I can convey your word clearly and that I can draw people closer to you through what you say through me, God. Lord, be with us tonight. Be with us as we go from here, Lord. I pray that your word moves us to action tonight, God. Lord, I love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. So, I was super excited when Matt asked me to speak, and I thought, you know, the Lamb of God, this is going to be awesome. I'm sure that's mentioned like a hundred times throughout the scriptures, and these are the only two. And so, right after he asked me, I kind of freaked out, and I was like, I don't know where to start with all this. And so, I figured the only thing I knew to do at this point was to break down the phrase. And so, I took Lamb, and I took God, and I just separated them, and I just went through a study through the two. And so, that's what I'm just going to do with you guys tonight. So, in verse 29, we see the Lamb of God, um, then, and, and I'll just read it. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This, so, so this is a very specific Lamb with a very specific role. 
And so what we see is this lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world. So this isn't just any ordinary lamb. This is a lamb that has a purpose, has a job to accomplish. And so what we're going to see next is the humility of the lamb and the function of the lamb. So all I did was I went through and I found the first time that lamb is mentioned in the Bible. And so the first time we get to see it is Genesis 22, 7 through 8. And so Isaac and Abraham, Abraham received a word from God, and and he said, Go and sacrifice your son to me to show how much you love me. How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you willing to give up for me? What humility that would take to sacrifice your son, your only child, to God. That kind of seems counter... um, counteractive, I guess. Like, why would the Lord tell you to kill somebody if he doesn't want you killing people anyway? You know what I'm saying? And so, in Genesis 22, they're on their journey, and and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he answered, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And this is going to be probably one of the most profound statements throughout all the Bible. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. What an interesting pattern that the Lord is already setting up in the very beginning of the Bible. And this is centuries before Christ is even in the picture. These words aren't in here by accident. Abraham didn't mess up and get out of order what he was saying. The Lord will provide himself a lamb. Sure, yeah, he he actually provided a lamb, but this is also a foreshadowing of what was going to come. And we just got to see that in John 1. The Lord's going to provide himself as a lamb for us. And so, to be able to to, to grasp what we're talking about, the, the pattern is that lambs are to cover sin, always. They're always linked to covering sin. And also the results of covering sin. And so, to cover sin, there has to be bloodshed. It can't just be any ordinary um, sacrifice. It can't just be any animal. It has to be a lamb. Well, why is that? Well, if we continue reading, we'll, we'll look um, later on and see why that is. Let's go to Genesis 3.21. And so this is the first time we see sin in the picture. And, and everybody knows Adam and Eve sinned. Um, and so what they tried to do was they tried to cover themselves. Well, as good Bible students, we know that our way is never going to work. Our self-righteousness is never going to work. It can't work because we're imperfect people. But that's what Adam and Eve tried to do. So they covered themselves with, with um, leaves and, and such to try to hide themselves from God. And so in Genesis 3.21 Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he could have just wiped them right out. You know, you messed up. See ya. Pow! Bolt of lightning, you know. But praise the Lord, he, he was gracious enough to clothe them, you know. And so, it's cool. If we, if we apply 2 Timothy 2.15 to this, we don't actually see what what coats they were made out of, what the skins were made out of, what animal the skins were made out of. And it's kind of funny, because this was actually brought up to me, and I never even put the two and two together. But if we jump over to Proverbs 27, 26, 
it says the lambs are for the clothing and the goats are, for, are, are the price of the field. Lambs are for clothing. Now, sure, does that mean it was a lamb? No, because it doesn't say that. Is the Lord willing to mess up such a simple and perfect picture? No. No. Why, why would the Lord mess up such a simple picture? And so all, all, all we did was we just took apart two pieces of, of Scripture and put them together. And, and we found an awesome picture that the Lord is willing to give himself up as a sacrifice to cover our sin. And also he's willing to take physical things that he created to, to give us a picture because we're so naive and so ignorant that we can't even grasp it on our own. So he takes animals and, and objects and paints a picture for the spiritual for us. And so now let's look at the role of the lamb. And so the role is obviously to impart or interject for us um, and our sin. And so let's keep in mind, um, what, what does this have to do with my life? And I want you to think about all this as we, as we continue to go through and so we're going to jump over to Exodus now, and, and we're going to see the qualifications for a lamb. Also, we're going to see how this lamb becomes a little bit more personal to us. And so in Exodus, we see the qualifications of a lamb. It was to be spotless, it was to be of one year old, it was to be a male, and without blemish, which is basically the same thing as spotless. Now, when I say spotless, I mean like perfect. This is the best of the best. This isn't a mediocre, this isn't nonchalant, this stuff isn't important. This is the best of the best. This, is, this at this time would be giving up currency or money. This is a very valuable thing. And this, this animal was to be of one year. So it was going to be in its prime. And also is to be a male. So what they would do is they would take the best of the best in the prime of the best of the best and something that they could reproduce with, and they'd have to give it up because they messed up. And in this, remember, this is an innocent creature. This is something that literally has nothing to do with anything. You just have to go pluck it up out of the field and kill it. And so the weight of this that these people had to go through is, is extremely serious. And then also, once they got done killing it, they had to consume the lamb. And so this is a little bit of a morbid thought, but you're going to kill this innocent creature to save you from your sin, over and over and over, and then you got to eat it that same night. It's kind of a little bit weird, but I don't know. <laughs> so let's go to Exodus 12, and, and, and see if you can catch the, the progression that this passage takes us through, and, and how it becomes a little bit more personal with each verse. So it says, Speak ye unto the congregation, talking to Moses, of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, you shall take them, every man a lamb, according to the house of their father, a lamb for an house. In the household, if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall, excuse me, make account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of one year. You shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. Did you guys catch the progression? It, it goes from verse 3 to say a lamb. There has to be a lamb. It can't be any other animal. It has to be a humble creature that, that won't even make a peep when you kill it. It has to be a lamb. It can't be anything else. 
in verse 4, it goes to say it has to be the lamb. Well, this is where it starts getting personal for us. So there has to be a lamb. There has to be a sacrifice. And then it has to be the lamb. It can't just be any lamb. It has to be the perfect lamb. It has to be the only lamb. And then in verse 5, it says your lamb. Take your lamb. And this is really where we get to apply this to our lives. And so, if you think about it, this sounds oddly familiar to, to salvation, doesn't it? There has to be a lamb. There has to be a lamb to save you from your sin. There has to be bloodshed. It can't just be any lamb, though. It has to be Christ. It has to be the lamb. But in order for it to work, it's got to be your lamb. It has to be your lamb. There's no other choice that you have other than make it personal for yourself. And, and as I've already mentioned, the physical is just a picture of the spiritual. That's all this is. This is just a physical picture of what the Lord has done for us already. And so, as we keep going through, in Isaiah 53, 7, we see, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shears is dumb. So it openeth not his mouth. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. Now, if you want, you can go home and, and look up a lamb being sacrificed. You can bind a lamb's feet, and you can cut its throat, and it won't make a sound. And it is a little bit eerie. But, didn't the Lord do that for us? Wasn't he humble enough to not even make a sound when he was hanging on the cross? As he was being accused, as he was being beaten? What humility that takes to understand what kind of weight that he was saving us from. This is probably the best picture of humility in all the Bible. For a lamb to go dumb before the slaughter and not even make a sound. Incredible. So I think it's safe to say that the Lord knew what he was doing from the beginning. I think, I think that's a pretty safe avenue to take at this point. And so in John 6, 53, 54, we see that, that we have to consume the flesh of, of Christ. Now, of course, we don't think like we actually have to consume his flesh. No, of course. Of course, it's only a picture of the spiritual, right? And so let's read 53 and 54. Then Jesus said unto them, talking to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Well, that's what the Israelites had to do in Exodus, right? They had to cook the lamb and eat it. They had to consume it. You, and that's the same thing for us. Because really what it all comes down to is a relationship. And that's what we got to see with Matt when he brought us the Word of God. The Word is our food. The Word is our nutrients. The Word, the word is how we get to know our Lord and Savior. Right? That's how we get to co- conform our lives to His will and, and His concerns. And we get to see that in 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes desire the, sin- desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. So if you don't believe me, just go to 1 Peter 2, 2, right? The 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 sincere milk of the word. And it's talking about babes. Babes can't do anything for themselves except consume milk and throw up and cry. And, and isn't that what we're supposed to do, though? Aren't we supposed to cry out to our Lord? Aren't we supposed to consume his word and grow and mature in his, in his word and, and be more like him? It's just a picture. 
That's all it is. And so we've gotten to see the humility of a lamb. We've gotten to see its functions and its roles in our lives. So now let's look at the power of God and his function. And so if you don't know where the first place we get to see God Almighty in the Bible, the word God, um, shut your Bible, open up the first page, and just start reading. It's right there. It's in Genesis 1-1. And, and so this is a very, I, I, this really hit me hard, and I don't know why. Of course, this was like one of the first scriptures that you learn and memorize, but it, it just sets, when you look at it as a pattern and the characteristic of God and what he set up from the very beginning, it's, it's very interesting and it's very exciting. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right from the beginning, God wastes no time in saying, I am the most powerful thing you'll ever be able to see. And I demand your respect and I demand your worship. That's a pretty heavy burden. And, and until you realize that, it, you, you can't really worship the Lord to your full potential. And so this is basically his function summed up, is his power and his, his almightiness that works through everything. Look at Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be of thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So rightfully so, we should give our lives right back to Christ. If we were all created by Christ and for Christ, it, it's it's very easy to say that it's reasonable to give him back our life in, in sacrifice. It, it's not even going above and beyond at this point. It's just an okay thing to give him back our life in full service. So what role, that's your next point, what role will the Lord play in our lives? Let's look at 1 John 3.20. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. So God knows all things. He's greater than our hearts. And so if our hearts condemn us, God is, is willing to step in and say, no, 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 I've got you. Don't worry. Your heart can condemn you all you want, but I created your heart. I created your mind. I, I'm willing to save you from that if you're willing to give me your life back. And so since he's greater than our heart, if we give our heart to the Lord, he'll, he'll simply just burden us with the things that burdens him. Go, go make disciples. Go, to, go, go do missions. Go, go and transform yourself into the image of myself, you know. And, and so, unfortunately, there's also a little bit of bad news with this, because God is also a judge. And so, Hebrews 13, 4 shows us this. Marriage is honorable in all things, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Not only will he judge the righteous, but he'll also judge the unrighteous. And so we have to look within ourselves and make sure that we're continually purifying ourselves so that we don't give the Lord a, an opportunity to judge us for the things that we've done wrong. We, we now have the ability to not sin. We have a perfect holy God living inside of us saying like, no, I've given you a way of escape through temptation. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to be conformed to this world. Be conformed to my word. Be conformed to my love. And so, so we should make him our master at this point. So we've, get, we've gotten to see him create things. We've gotten to see his power in our lives. And so we should turn around and make him our Lord. And John 13, 14 says, If I 
If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Well, if our Master is willing to get on his hands and knees and wash feet, who are we? (laughs) Who are we? Who am I to say, nope, I don't want to serve today? Nope, I don't want to get up half an hour early and get in his word. Nope, I'm not going to pay $500 and go on a missions trip across the country. Nope. Well, he was willing to do it, and so if he's willing to do it, we have no excuse. You know, and so the cool thing is that, that we, we see that he is the head of everything. He, he's literally above everything, and yet he came as a humble man and got on a dirty floor and washed people's feet. What an incredible picture of humility and power. Amen. So what, what do we do with this? What do we do? So we've gotten to see the power and humility in a perfect balance through the character, function, and role of God. So now what is our response? So this is the response of the people. How, how do you respond with the information that you've been given? And so let's look back at the passage, but let's go to the end of the passage this time, to verse 36 through 38. And looking upon Jesus, as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they say unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? So recognizing what was happening, the, the things, the events that were playing out, these two disciples of the Lord heard, behold the Lamb of God, and they immediately followed. Now this wasn't by circumstance, this, this wasn't by chance, this wasn't by accident. They didn't just say, hmm, that sounds good, let's go follow him. They had to be students. They had to be able to recognize God in front of them. Can you do that? Can I do that? I, I don't know if I could. If, if I heard, behold the Lamb of God, I'd probably say, yeah, that's just a dude. I'm not following him. I mean, seriously, that's what they did. They said, oh, the Lamb of God? All right. And they just started following. Like, that's a little bit bizarre if you think about it. They literally just started following. Jesus turned around and said, like, what are you doing? What are, why are you following me? You know? And, and the cool thing is, though, Jesus made himself of no reputation. Why, why would you follow me? Why would you, why would you decide to follow me? I'm nobody. I'm just serving my God. I'm just serving my Father. But, of course, the two disciples knew that this, this wasn't the case. They, they recognized that God in the flesh was standing before them. And, and he deserved to be called master and, and their rabbi. And so there's only two responses that, that we can give to this information. And the first one is rejection. And so many people followed him, but many didn't. In John 1.11, it says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's like me going to my family and them saying, nope, we don't want you coming in. We, we are not going to hang out with you. That's basically what they did to Jesus, God. How devastating would it be to get to heaven and say, you missed it. You missed God. You couldn't even recognize God in front of you. What excuse are you going to have then? You know, what, what are you going to say to Almighty God when you stand before him and say, well, I just didn't think it was him. <laughs> well, he gave you scripture. He gave you knowledge. He gave you 
the ability to dig into his word and, and recognize him. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to reject him or receive him? And so sometimes rejection doesn't always come through open rejection and just saying no. Sometimes it comes through our own self-righteousness. And so Romans 10.3 says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And so we're going to see, have you, have you ever heard, well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to heaven. Why are you going to heaven? Well, I, I serve here, and, and I give to charities, and I go on trips, and, and rebuild houses in other countries. <laughs> yeah, and? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know your Savior? This, this is just self-righteousness. That's all it is. That's, that's saying that I'm better than God's way. That's covering yourself with fig leaves instead of being covered with a lamb. And so, according to Mark 10, 18, there is none good except God. And now is Christ saying that. Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, told his disciples there's, there's none good, including myself. God is the only one that's good. And so if Christ is willing to say that about himself, who are we to say, well, I'm, I'm good enough to make it to heaven by myself? How, how can you say that? How can you look around and say, yeah, I, well, I thought I could do it by myself, God. Well, you know, I got bad news, but that's not going to work too long, you know. And so, lastly, we get to see th- probably the best part of this, and that's accepting that's accepting God's word, accepting him for who he is. And so John 1, 37, 38, And the two disciples heard him speak and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and they saw him following, saith unto him, What seek ye? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? I've already mentioned this, but all it took was one comment. Behold the Lamb of God, and they followed. What boldness would it take to say, I'm following you, God. I, I'm not calling anybody God except God himself. No human will ever hear me call them God until I get to heaven. What boldness would it, would it take to say that to somebody? And then what humility would it take to say, I want to learn from you. I want to follow you. I want to go and dwell with you in your house. That's pretty incredible what picture was just painted in, in a, a few sentences. Not only do we get to see the humility and power of God, but we also get to see the boldness and humility of believers in Christ, disciples. And so, this is a a super cool thing, but we need to implement Christ and his attributes into our life. And so, how do we do this? Well, in 1 Kings Kings 8.61, it says, "...let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God." to walk in his statues and to keep his commandments as at this day. So this is not a suggestion. It says walk in his statutes and keep his commands. Okay, so if this isn't a suggestion, this is more of a command, then, then how do we, how, what characteristics would describe somebody that's doing this? Well, if you want to look at somebody who struggled and had every reason not to follow the Lord, look at Job. If, if you're walking through a trial and you think, oh, woe is me, go check out Job. That dude suffered a bunch of junk that he never even deserved. 
And the crazy thing is he followed the Lord every single step of the way. And so, like we saw in verse 61 of 1 Kings, it says, Let your heart therefore be made perfect. So what does, per- what does a perfect person look like? Well, Job 1.8 states, And the Lord saith unto Satan. So Satan was going to the Lord and saying, There's not even a single righteous person on earth. And he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, perfect and upright, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And so I, I came across this verse, and I was like, okay, there's some big words in here. And really, there's just one that I didn't know, and it was escheweth. What does escheweth mean? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. It's deliberately avoiding evil. Deliberately walking away, seeing something far out, saying, that's probably bad news, I don't need to be anywhere near that, and walking away from it. It's as simple as that, you know. And so in Proverbs twenty-seven twelve, we see a prudent man foreseeth evil and hideth himself, but a simple man passeth, or pass on, and are punished. Well, why? Why? Why, why would the simple man be punished for just walking by? Well, it's not that simple. You can only toe the line for so long before you fall over. You always hear, why? Well, well, I'm not sinning. It's my liberty. It's my liberty to be able to do this. Yeah, but what if you do that? Well, it's sin at that point. Well, why not just say, well, this isn't going to be edifying to the Lord, so just walk away from it. it it's, it's a very simple thing. It's, it's not a very complex idea, but it's hard to put into practice. And so, as we close, I, I want to... I want to look at um, being made perfect isn't only about hiding from evil. And so James tells us in an interesting perspective that he's writing about um, with working in sacrifice. And so in, in James two twenty through 23, it says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? With, was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac, his son, upon an altar, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saying, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. The friend of God. What a title. What a title. You know, I, I, I had a friend... I think he's my friend. He's actually said he wasn't my friend. But he, he told me one time, he said, he said, you can be my friend, but I'm not your friend. And, and I hope, Wyatt, was joking when he said that. <laughs> he, he was. But, but that's what I immediately thought of when he said that. He said, you can be my friend, but I'm not going to be your friend. Well, is, isn't that what we do with the Lord? Well, I want to be your friend. Well, you claim my name in vain. Why would I want to be your friend? Why would I claim you as a child of mine when you're not even willing to give me 30 minutes in the morning? When you're not willing to control your tongue at work when something goes wrong? When you're not willing to control your attitude when something doesn't go your way? Why, why would I give you my name? So with this, are, are, are you willing to give the Lord the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life? I mean, he gave his entire life. 
He gave us an example, a perfect example. Are, are you willing to sacrifice back your life? I mentioned that at the beginning of this, that it's, it's just reasonable. It's just okay to give back your entire life, back into service and sacrifice. And so, as I close, I want to read one more verse, Romans 12.1. And this has kind of been an, encaps- an encapsulation of my life in, this, in, in 2019. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's, it's just okay to do that. You don't even deserve a pat on the back for doing it. It's just what the Lord tells us to do. So, as we go from here, I want to leave you with a few questions. The Lord understands what He saved you from, but do you? Do you understand what the Lord actually pulled you out of when you gave your, your life to Him? Because if you actually don't, it'll hinder the way you do and your ability to worship the Lord. If you don't understand what the Lord's done for you in your life and for the rest of eternity, you, you actually won't ever have a clean and, and whole aspect and, and ability to worship Him to your full potential. I hope this moves you to action. I hope that the Lord's, work, or the Lord's Word is speaking to you. I hope it moves you to action after you leave here. Um, it certainly worked in me, and, and I, I really appreciate you guys allowing me to um, give you what the Lord was giving me in the past couple weeks. Um, if, if you don't mind, let's pray, and I guess we're going to have one more worship song. Uh, Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the food and the nourishment that it gives us, God. Thank you for giving us a way to, to come to you boldly and, and as a sacrifice, Lord. I pray that we, we find it easy from this point on to give you back our lives in service. God, I pray that you give us the boldness to, to proclaim your name. And I pray that, Lord, we go from here and and we no longer claim your name in vain, but we do it boldly as a lion, Lord. God, I love you. Thank you for dying for us on the cross. Thank you for giving us eternal life, Lord. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.